you love this country, you say you really care, but America is dying. I don't see no love nowhere. You say you love this country and the freedoms that we share, but America is dying. I don't see no love nowhere. But we got people in the streets freezing while they sleep with no shoes on their feet. And we got people in the sheets cheating on their wives and they're speaking with deceit. Fight for the soul of America. Russian hackers are blamed for the hit on the U.S. nuclear agency when in fact it was not only Russia, but it was China and Iran working in conjunction with Russia. This and other topics on tonight's broadcast and this episode of Around the Campfire with Kate. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. If you want to hear more on the introduction music and lyrics, then head on over to YouTube and listen to some awesome patriotic music by Dave Bray. Next up, listen to the audio that's about to play and applaud some of the rare senators that we have that's fighting for the American people. This is a live call-in show through Skype, so... If you want to call in to ask a question, make a statement, or just give your opinion, please feel free. Again, you can call in using Skype through PSN Radio. ...to join my colleagues in discussing the single greatest geopolitical threat facing the United States for the next century, and that is the rise of communist China. We are right now months into a deadly global pandemic that has sickened over 14 million people worldwide and has taken the lives of over 600,000 people. And why are we in the midst of a global pandemic? Because the Chinese Communist Party deliberately lied to the world, covered up the outbreak, and allowed it to spread. The coronavirus pandemic has thrown into high relief the fact that China is our most dangerous threat. For eight years in the U.S. Senate, I have worked hard to lead the fight to address the threat of China, Chinese communist power and aggression and hostility head on. To make the United States economy as free and independent from China as possible and to thwart the never-ending propaganda and censorship campaign from the Chinese communists. Last week, the Chinese communist government made the decision to sanction me personally. So I am now, I awoke to discover, prohibited from traveling to communist China. Somehow I think I will overcome that great burden. And I will tell you, I wear China's sanction as a badge of honor. There's a reason they're lashing out. There's a reason they have decided to direct personal sanctions on me, because they are scared, they are terrified. The Chinese communists are murdering, lying, torturing tyrants. For a long time in Washington, there were politicians in both parties, Democrats and Republicans, who were apologists for China, who denied the threat was there, who insisted 
that the path forward was getting more and more and more in bed with the Chinese communists, well, the most significant long-term foreign policy consequence of this global pandemic is people's eyes are opening up on both sides of the aisle here in Washington and across the world. One need look no further than the United Kingdom reversing its decision to allow Huawei to build their telecom infrastructure to understand how China's mendacity has been revealed to the world. So how do we hold China accountable? How do we deal with the Chinese Communist Party? First of all, we should sanction Chinese officials involved in the ongoing suppression of medical experts, of journalists, and political dissidents, all of whom have been disappeared by the Chinese tyrants. I've introduced legislation to do just that. And over the past several years, I've introduced roughly a dozen separate pieces of legislation, all focused on different aspects of addressing the China threat. Another aspect is Chinese propaganda, Chinese propaganda that is reflected here in the United States. Big business, giant corporations, the media, Hollywood, all are terrified to take on communist China. All see the billions they can earn from access to the Chinese markets as more important than free speech. With respect to Hollywood, sadly, too many movie producers here in the United States have been perfectly content to allow the Chinese communists to censor American movies. So, for example, later this year, the sequel to Top Gun is scheduled to come out. Top Gun, one of the greatest military recruiting films ever made. Well, the sequel now, on Maverick's bomber jacket on the back, the flag of Taiwan has been removed. And the flag of Japan, both the Chinese overlords deemed offensive. And our heroic First Amendment champions in Hollywood dutifully complied with censorship. By the way, it needn't just concern geopolitical affairs in Asia. Another Hollywood movie, Bohemian Rhapsody, a fabulous biopic of Freddie Mercury, the lead singer for Queen. The Chinese censors decided it offended their sensibilities to have scenes in the movie that revealed that Freddie Mercury was homosexual. Now, I ask you to pause for a second and ask, how on earth do you tell Freddie Mercury's life story without including the fact that he was gay? It was integral to who he was. And yet Hollywood, who on so many other issues are glad to be woke social justice warriors, dutifully complied when the Chinese censors said, take it out, and they deleted the scenes from Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, I've introduced legislation in this body called the Script Act that will impose consequences when American companies allow the Chinese government to censor our films. The consequences are simple. We don't have the power as the government to impose direct negative consequences. But what we do have the power to do is use the incentives we have, namely lots of movies borrow federal assets. You go watch a movie and you see a plane or a ship or a tank. You go watch a movie that's on the border and you see DHS assets. All sorts of federal agencies allow movies to use equipment 
that is the property of the federal government. Script Act is very simple. It says if you're going to allow the Chinese communists to censor your movie, the federal government is not going to loan you our equipment and materiel. We're not going to facilitate making a movie if you're going to give the Chinese communists the editing and censoring pen. Not only do the Chinese communists engage in propaganda in Hollywood, they also engage in espionage and propaganda on our university campuses, a very deliberate, systematic effort to steal and deceive. In the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2019, I was proud to secure a funding prohibition for the Department of Defense from funding universities where the money could go to a Confucius Institute. As a result of that bipartisan legislation that earned support from Republicans and Democrats, 17 Confucius Institutes have been shut down. When it comes to our supply chain, we have seen in recent months the incredible foolishness of allowing the American supply chain to be dependent on China. Medical equipment, pharmaceuticals, PPE, in the midst of this pandemic, one Chinese government state-controlled newspaper explicitly threatened to cut off life-saving pharmaceuticals to the United States of America as a tool of economic warfare. Well, Mr. President, that wouldn't just be economic warfare. That would be actual warfare. That is literally threatening the lives of millions of Americans. We need to break our supply chain, depend supply chain dependence on China, especially concerning critical infrastructure. And I've introduced a host of legislation designed to do so with respect to pharmaceuticals, with respect to, 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 to critical minerals, we have to be, keep the American people's lives and safety not dependent upon the whims of communist China. And a final point right now. In China today, there are roughly one million Uyghurs in concentration camps. An Orwellian-style dystopian government where the government has all power to monitor what you say, to monitor who you talk to, to monitor your beliefs. And I introduced legislation to impose sanctions on any American technology companies that facilitate the monitoring and oppression of the Chinese people. And I'm proud to say the Trump administration took major portions of that legislation I introduced and implemented it to increase the pressure to stop facilitating Chinese torture and oppression. The overwhelming challenge for this body and for this country for the next century going forward is how we stand up to the threat of China. China is waging a thousand-year war. And for the sake, not only of Americans, but for the sake of the free world. America Thank you, Senator Cruz, for continuing the fight and not giving up on the Constitution and not giving up on the American people. Some of the information on the first portion of the show tonight will be taken from a trusted source and friend, Jeremy Hansen. Unleashed with Jeremy Hansen can be found on Spreaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and anywhere that podcasts are heard. Unleashed Jeremy Hansen can be heard live on Spreaker.com every Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Did you all know that there was a National Security Council meeting held a week ago Saturday? Yeah, most of the American people didn't know. I believe only those in the White House knew. Did you know that almost every time there's a National Security Council meeting held on a Saturday, that there's a declaration of war? Don't believe me? Look it up. 
things are about to get ugly really fast, people. And I know at least half of the American population is aware that the ugliness has already been happening only now. What the far left has been propagating and wishing for is probably about to come true. The United States was recently hit by a digital Pearl Harbor, and the Pentagon is withholding briefings from the Biden team. Now, why do you suppose that would happen? Well, intelligence chatter has confirmed that the Biden crime family has had a hand in the leaking of our national security secrets for the last 20 years. They've been linking them to China, Iran, Serbia, Russia, and Saudi Arabia. That includes the eight years that Biden was vice president of the United States. Let that sink in. Do you remember last week when I told you and played the audio clip where creepy Joe Biden confessed, oh, sorry, bragged that he will prostitute himself out to the highest bidder? He bragged about this over 30 years ago, and he's lived up to his treason. According to the Gateway Pundit, something is brewing. Dan Scavina is an American political advisor serving at the White House Deputy Chief of Staff for Communications and Director of Social Media. Uh, Dan's also been President Trump's social media director since before 2016 election. He's a Trump-trusted loyal aide. In a series of tweets over an Oval Office meeting, Trump is ready to take action. General Flynn, Sidney Powell, a few senators and congressmen are urging President Trump to fight this historic theft and fraud of the 2020 election. And I believe that Trump is about to do just that. So buckle up, people. The ride's about to become bumpier and uglier. Hold on and be prepared, because if you haven't been preparing, now is the time that you should. Do you know how to make your own body armor? They sell bulletproof vests and bulletproof shields and such as plates that you can put in your bag or your briefcase. But these are really expensive. And you may be able to use common household objects to provide you with temporary shields against flying bullets, such as in an active shooter scenario. Any thick layered material can help, like a book of bags. Excuse me, a bag full of books. Hard furniture like wooden tables and chairs that can stop or even slow bullets. And depending on your state, getting a permit to carry a gun concealed may be very difficult. In those states that have concealed carry permits, however, only a small percentage of eligible citizens even signs up for one. If you believe in survival, if you believe in being prepared for emergencies and you are not carrying a gun where it's legal and possible for you to do so, I ask you, why not? If you can get a concealed carry weapon permit, it's recommended that you do so. And if the process takes a while, don't wait. Start now before Biden gets in office and take some classes from a reputable firearms instructor. Do your homework on the firearms instructor. Do they give you a certificate just because you joined the class. Go 
to the reputable firearms instructor, you really don't need a certificate. What you need is instruction. In the state that I reside in, the last governor signed into a law indicating that it's legal to carry without a permit. So those states, our states, that have such laws as an option. Keep your most expendable weapons in the trunk of your car for emergencies. <clears throat> the revolver and the Derringer, that's the definition of a hideout gun. And if some by chance they're confiscated on the road by authorities or like happened to Katrina, you haven't really lost much. Make sure your expendable guns are reliable and go bang every time the trigger is pulled. And keep plenty of ammunition in your car too. Make sure that they're stored separately if that's what your local law requires. And remember that guns are like the famous snack chip. No one can have just one. If anyone tells you, I'm buying a gun and stopping there, probably doesn't understand how silly that is. If you're a gun owner, be a multiple gun owner. The more guns you have, the more options you'll have, and the better prepared you'll be. Remember, more guns, not less, just makes good sense. This is a more valuable tip than you might think. Never, ever give in to the attempts to restrict ownership of firearms as law-abiding citizens. Those in Australia have had to suffer great many restrictions, and now they've lost all of their guns. Criminals don't care about the law. They buy weapons on the black market and carry whatever they want. If you want to continue to be an armed citizen, never ever support those who push gun control schemes and always resist attempts to disarm you. At the end of every day, make sure you don't leave the house unequipped come morning. Put the carry ammunition for your daily carry weapon in your pants pockets that you're going to wear the next day and make sure that ammunition is always factory loaded ammo for your carry weapon and not reloaded ammo. Not only does your life depend on the consistency and reliability of your ammunition, but factory ammunition has published ballistics data that makes it more easily defendable in court should you be forced to take a life in self-defense. Have all the guns, ammunition, and magazines in the world won't help you in a, if a critical spring or firing pin breaks. There are firearms accessory providers who offer complete spare part kits and individual spare parts for many popular weapons. Make sure you have spare parts on hand for your gun's high wear parts, especially things like firing pins, extractors, recoil springs. <clears throat> a broken gun is a useless paper. And in times of social chaos, it will be very difficult to do something about the problem. Have the parts on hand before the fact so you can keep your weapons operating. If you think you have enough ammunition, you're wrong. You need to go shopping for ammo and do it today. You need at least a 1,000 rounds on hand for every weapon that you own, preferably more. If there's major calibers that you don't have weapons to shoot, consider storing those as well as barter items. If you own a shotgun, you cannot possibly have enough buckshot on hand, so pick up some of that too. Consider storing your ammo in different places so that you don't lose everything in the event of a flood, fire, or mob theft. Don't leave home without a knife as well. 
the knife is the single most important tool in anyone's survival gear. Almost anything can be found or improvised using a knife. For example, large cloth can be cut into smaller strips for bandages or carrying straps or a thousand other things. If you have a knife to do it. Shelter can be improved from locally available materials if you have a knife to prepare it. The knife is the only tool you cannot do without. If you do not have one, you have to improvise a cutting blade before you can improvise most any other things. Many of us have friends and family in states other than our own town. If you were to experience an emergency that, like, for example, cut power to an entire area, many of your family members locally would have no way to contact you and reach each other. This is why you set up a rendezvous point ahead of time. If you set up a contact out of state, it might be possible for each of you to check in with that out-of-state contact and then trade news back and forth and updates about each other. And having such a relay station set up far from your locality in order to prevent that relay from being affected by the social chaos condition can help you and others stay in touch. And the benefits of forming a survival group are obvious. There is safety and power in numbers. More able-bodied team members means more chance that you'll survive and be protected. However, you need to make certain you can trust the people before you invite them to bug out with you or be part of your group. Don't be too trusting too quickly. Even people who seem okay after you first meet them can turn out to have a few uh, loose screws. And it may take you many months or even a year or two of knowing someone before you really understand that, that they have issues. Trust your gut and make sure those with whom you know are worthy of your friendship and never divulge knowledge of your family and your preparations too quickly. Your neighborhood and your community can be a powerful network in times of social chaos. If you and your neighbors establish ahead of time a method of signals to hang on your doors, preparedness checklists, hierarchies of neighborhood captains to aid in communication, you'll be a long way towards establishing everything you need for a time of crisis. And talking about a crisis before it hits and preparing your community as a whole to meet it will make all of your neighbors less adversarial when an emergency finally does come. Consider preparing to help your neighbor without their knowledge, such as add to your food and water stores and preparations enough to supply to help your neighbors when they're in distress. I have an off-grid property in the middle of a mountain where my neighbors are many miles away from me. Very few people know where this particular place is located. I live on a smaller acreage closer to town and people know where this particular acreage is. Many people can't afford to go to the emergency room. So you make yourself known that, hey, I can help if there's an issue. At the same time, if I need anything, they're there for me. But not one of them knows where the main ranch is located. If you've taken time, money, and effort to stockpile provisions, this is a good thing. You should be proud of the work that you've done and the foresight that you've had. You can share details of your plans with people that you already know and trust who share the same mindset you do and support what you're doing. 
But what you don't want to do ever is give explicit details about your preparations to the whole world. Don't make a big point of telling everyone you meet that, hey, I'm prepared. You're just painting a target on your back should social chaos ever occur where you live. Don't count on the ties of friendships to protect you in social chaos situations, even those that you believe that you trust. Because it'll turn out that if they're desperate enough to keep themselves alive and protect their families, they will hurt you. Remember the old Twilight Zone episode in which the invading aliens shut off the power, then selectively turned it back on to make the neighbors suspicious of the other neighbor? It strikes a chord with viewers because it's based on the truth. People will turn out, will turn on you fast if their family's lives are at stake. So don't forget that. And there's a timeline to most people's attitude during social chaos. And understanding this timeline can help you network and when to avoid networking. People tend to be very cooperative within the first 24 hours of a disaster or emergency. During that first day, make sure you use that time to find food, water, and shelter that is defensible if you don't already have one. It's when people start to get hungry and thirsty and they realize that help is not coming immediately that things start to get ugly and take a turn. Know the window of opportunity and plan accordingly. And if your community has one, consider joining a volunteer defense service in your area. This will help you get a heads up on information about emergencies coming your way. The time commitment is usually around two years, perhaps once a month during those years. This is a great way to get skills and information that you need to defend your family while forcing yourself to stick with it because you've adopted this this obligation. You can also consider joining the Civil Air Patrol. This is a volunteer organization that is an auxiliary unit of the United States Air Force. Civil Air Patrol membership grants you government military-style identification and the legal right to wear United States Air Force uniform. Keep that uniform in your car. It just might afford you an authoritative presence in times of emergency, allowing you to pass a roadblock or travel during a curfew. The networking value of joining such an organization also involves information you may receive as a member. And I I talk about this and I say this about travel during a curfew is because there is talk and chatter that the possibility of martial law can be implemented really soon. Now, this broadcast may seem redundant, but it's worth repeating with some other tidbits to go along. Take time to learn all of the choke points on your regular traveled routes. These are the areas where much traffic must be squeezed into a smaller point and therefore where progress can be slowed or stopped. Choke points include bridges, tunnels, areas where lanes are closed on the highway. Choke points are an ambush danger zone and may also present difficulty in travel because you may get bogged down there. Avoid choke points whenever possible. You need to plot alternative routes to avoid them. National trails are like highways for your feet. How well do you know your national trails? Not only should you get to know them, but you should take up hiking. Hiking your national trails will help you build your strength and endurance if you have to travel by foot. 
It'll also help you familiarize with the trails in your area. Never underestimate the power of research to help you in emergencies. Take the time to read David Grossman's book called On Killing. It's considered one of the best books on the topic of lethal force and on human beings' willingness to engage in using that force. This may sound morbid, but in an emergency, you need to understand this side of the human nature, both your own and those of the people around you. Have you ever stabbed another human being in self-defense? Have you ever shot another human being in self-defense? You need to learn what you are capable of and what other people are capable of doing to you. You can also read a book called Sneaky Uses for Everyday Things by Cy Timoni, which is C-Y-T-Y-M-O-N-Y. This book teaches you how to make the most of everything around you, and it'll teach you how to make glue out of milk, eavesdrop on aircraft radio, and realize the full power of LED technology. It's a single book that contains a wealth of adaptable survival information. Remembering that your brain is the most powerful tool for the survival is not enough if you don't know how to apply that tool. The proper sequence of steps is to identify the emergency, devise your plan, execute that plan, then move on. Do not give up. The will to survive is your first and primary priority. And people say, trust your gut without really committing to that. How often do you get a gut feeling and then act against it because you think you know the truth is otherwise? Your power of intuition, your initial gut feeling is a powerful tool. Use it. It's right more times than it is wrong. Err on the side of caution to stay alive and stay safe and always trust your gut. In an emergency, focus is survival. It's said that survival is 90% mental and 10% physical. It doesn't matter what the percentage is. What's important is that you remember survival is both. No amount of mental preparedness for survival can help you if you take none of the physical steps needed to act on it. One aspect of survival cannot survive without the other, the physical and the mental. And then one of the most important things, in my opinion, is to pray. It may sound hokey to you, especially if you're not a believer. It will be difficult to become a believer one overnight. But you've heard the expression, there's no atheists in the foxhole. In a time of social chaos, a connection to your higher power may be the one thing that keeps you going. And you'd be surprised just how much you can accomplish if you follow the dictum. Worry about nothing and pray for everything. And a popular t-shirt reads, keep calm and carry on or stay low and keep moving. It sounds simple and it has far-reaching complications. To paraphrase, the ability to keep a clear head while others about you are losing theirs is the hallmark of a leader. If you can stay calm during social chaos, then you can think clearly. 
Thinking clearly is the key to making good decisions, and good decisions can make the difference between life and death for you, your team, or your family. And you may be missing the most important part of a survival situation and not even knowing it. The first thing you have to do in a survival situation is to recognize that you're in one. If you do not acknowledge the emergency, if you do not accept it, you will never be able to cope with it. When an emergency occurs, you must switch to the survival mode in your head immediately. Throw that mental switch and you'll be able to do what you must be, what must be done to survive for you and your family. The perfect piece of gear is actually a combination of gear. You should always have a knife on you. You should always have some sort of flashlight on you. You should always have a gun on you. Keep your head on a swivel. Stay aware. And always try to stay one step ahead of what's going on out there. Your family should have a written emergency plan. Writing up that plan forces each member of the family to understand what they're responsible for doing in an emergency, what the meetup point is, what the alternate communication methods will be, how these plans will be applied to specific emergencies. Sit down with your family ahead of time, draw up the plan, and make sure each member understands their role in it. Then, practice it. The first rule of planning for a disaster is to have the plan. And this sounds so simple, but many people talk about planning, and they never actually accomplish anything toward that goal. Take the time to make your plan. Test it. Refine it. A theoretical plan is not enough. You have to test its components to make sure they will work when you really need them. You wouldn't trust an untested piece of gear in the field. You shouldn't trust an untested plan either. Your local area known in some circles as your AO or area of operation. Know your AO and know it well. Obtain the appropriate maps of your area, but more importantly, travel your AO yourself. Explore it. Get to know every part of it. If the home field advantage is to be yours, knowing the area where you are to be the difference between success and failure while escaping, innovating, or dealing with some other form of social chaos. Know the routes in Know the routes out and other environmental factors. Your area of operation is yours. Make it your turf by understanding it. You can pick up a copy of the book called The Urban Warrior's Bible by the Sensei. This is an amazing self-protection resource. It contains a wealth of information on a variety of topics related to urban survival, self-defense, the strategies and training of such methods, and other resources to pursuing survival in a social chaos situation. And one of the best books that you can read that I've read for preparing to survive in social chaos is called Secrets of Street Survival, Israeli Style, Stay Alive in a Civilian War Zone by Eugene Socket, S-O-C-K-U-T. It is a survival book from a military-trained point of view. You need 
to know how the military thinks. Do you know where your fresh aquifer springs are located? This isn't secret information. Do a little research and it'll help you learn where these springs are near you. Take the time to map out every natural cave. And when planning for long-term survival, use your knowledge of these springs to help you for survival and proximity of fresh water. And you've heard the term VFR with relation to airplanes. An aviation VFR map is a map that has all rail, pipeline, road, utility, waterway, and other right-of-way landmarks. And they're very clearly marked. The things pilots use are references on the ground can be the things you use as a travel reference in escaping social chaos. But Kate, where do I get this? Have you heard of an airport? There's a, cheap and, there's a simple and cheap way to make large quantities of water safe to drink. That's by adding a small amount of shock chemicals used for swimming pools. I do not advocate that you go out and pour a whole bunch of chemicals into your drinking water unless you know what you're doing. It takes very little to purify a large amount of water. For example, a few drops of bleach can be used to help your stored water. That's your water that's already safe to drink that's stockpiled. And it keeps it from going bad while remaining stored for long periods of time. I purchased a I purchase distilled water by the gallon jugs by the case and rotate them out every three months. But in an SHTF scenario, I can't run to the store and purchase distilled water for rotation. So I have a couple of gallons of bleach on hand for water purification. The bug out bag, the bob, bug out gear bags, whatever you want to call it, should be prepared in multiples as long as you can afford to do so. Keep one in every critical location you travel to and from. These include your car, your home, your office, a friend's house that you frequent all the time. Chances are, when an emergency comes, you will not already be safe at home. The office bag is an absolute must because most of us spend a third of our lives or much more at work. Have you mapped out a 100-mile radius from the middle of where you live? Well, you can bury a small pack of survival gear every 20 miles in four different locations. That sounds redundant and a lot of gear, but not when you're talking about survival. I can be at the ranch when the SHTF hits, but a buddy coming to the ranch could be out of supplies and on foot, needing to get to the first rendezvous point. He can contact me, and I can give him coordinates to a supply pack to where he can survive to get to the ranch. Each person that is vetted and approved to come to the ranch has to supply their own gear, food, clothes, etc. And there's a tiny home built somewhere on the property where we can each stock that particular community house with what we believe we will need when the time comes. We also have a large root cellar where everyone chips into the 
community market. Blankets, clothes, food, toilet paper, etc. are all stored for the community. Store plenty of dried food. Storage food does not have to be expensive, and it does not have to come from companies that offer fancy products at high prices. Dried beans, rice, oatmeal, and other dried goods. Properly packed and sealed containers in a cool, dry place can be all that you would need to survive for the long term. And when possible, store your food in multiple locations. You don't want a single moisture problem or a vermin infestation to wipe out everything that you have. Know where to get food in a crisis. It's all fine and good to talk about defending your stores of canned foods, but sooner or later, your food's going to run out. Do you know where to find it? Do you know where to trade, borrow, steal, or make food if you run out? Do you know the common, local, nutritious plants that grow in your area? Are you prepared to eat dogs, cats, pet food? wild animals that are hunted. These are things you must know to be truly prepared. Would I be able to eat my dog? No. I wouldn't. Of all the supplies that you could carry in your bag, ranging from food, water, fire, shelter, to tools, guns, ammo, knives, rope, and anything else, remember that your gear is useless to you. If it's too heavy, do not get bogged down with stuff that you don't need. Travel light. Always travel as light as you can. Always take with what you need, but absolutely no more than that. Oh, but Kate, I need this or I need that. I just have to have it. This is why you already have a bug out location so you can travel light to get there and you already have your I have to have it stuff there. My immediate go bag has a 72-hour food kit that has freeze-dried food or dehydrated food in it. I can live about six days off of that kit, and my go bag is about 25 pounds. I have one full change of clothes and the essentials for survival. That is all. But, Kate, but, 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 I have to have this. I warned you. PVC pipe is a great way to build waterproof containers that you can carry, excuse me, that you can bury storage cash items in. Start by cutting the pipe to the length that you need. The epoxy a permanent end to the cap. Screw on the other end and wrap the whole thing in plastic once you have your stuff inside that PVC pipe. Seal it with duct tape and be sure to include a rope or other line connected to the rope to make it easier to retrieve later and bury it near an external marker that'll be easy for you to find. Most people bury their caches at about three feet down or a little bit further so no critter can dig it up and then expose it to the world. One survival strategy for long-term escape and evasion is to keep only a three-day supply and secondary weapon on you. Cache your primary supplies and weapons in a safer location, as indicated before. That way, you have the means to get to your supplies. 
If you're intercepted along the way and robbed, you know where you can gain more supplies. A lot of people don't prepare as much as they could because they worry about it's cost prohibitive. A good strategy for long-term survival and preparation is to buy what you can afford now. As time goes by, slowly replace or back up the cheaper items with better items that you can afford. Even the cheap stuff is better than not having anything at all. And the longer you go without it, an emergency, the better your total gear and supplies will be. Make sure you have items on hand that you can use as money, like in a barter situation. These may be things that you need, and they may be things that other people would want, such as luxury items, coffee, tobacco, chocolate, painkillers. All of these things you can purchase at the dollar store. Just take $5 out of your budget and go get five items. Do that once a week, and you'll be surprised at how fast your cash will grow. When an emergency happens, you will have a brief window during which everything is still working. So charge your phones. Charge your batteries during this period. If you haven't already done so, fill all of your bathtubs with water. Collect anything you can that you think that needs to be powered up because the utilities will be going out. But usually within that first eight hours, the utilities stay on. Do not take for granted that the power is still on. Therefore, don't worry about it. This may be enough water and charges to get you through the emergency. Or it may at least give you a jump start. You may have to leave in an emergency with some of your stores that's not cashed yet. Your storage cash items, such as those prepared in waterproof containers for burying, until the last possible minute, are waiting for you. And when the time's right, choose your cash location and start digging. Being careful to do this where no one can see you and where you can conceal the fresh dirt that you've just moved around. My guys have learned years ago how to bury items and leave the ground as they found it. It's a bit time-consuming, but it's worth the effort. Consider staging some of your cheaper items and more expendable survival gear, like as a decoy. Most people will not, not look further if they believe that they've already found the things that you have that they want. This is the same strategy as having a decoy wallet to give to muggers. Give the enemy something to take, and you keep what you really need to keep. Don't be too willing to give it to them, because then they'll suspect something's up. When gathering water from your toilet, stay clear of the wall of the tank. You don't want to contaminate the water 
and you don't want to expose yourself to any bacteria or mold that may be growing on the side of the tank. Whatever you do, do not use the water in the toilet bowl where you do your eliminating business. Water can be found in a variety of places that you wouldn't normally think of, like hot water tanks. Even when the utilities fail, it may not taste very good, but it's potable. And when surviving outdoors, animals are your friends. They have the same needs and generally respond to the same problems that you do. Do as they do. Eat what they eat. Avoid what they avoid. Most of all, don't worry if you put on a extra weight. This will give you a reserve energy that you need when you go without food for a few days. You know what? If it works for the animals, it can work for you. So practice fasting. Start out with skipping breakfast. Once you've skipped breakfast and you eat lunch, eat your dinner. The next day, skip uh, breakfast and then lunch. Eat your supper. That does not mean overeat to make up for missing your breakfast and your lunch. Then the next day, go the full day without eating. Teach yourself to fast. So if and when the time comes and you are without food and you have to scrounge for food, your body is already used to that fast. You know, Mark Twain once said, put all your eggs in one basket and then watch that basket. Funny as that may sound, remember that you do not want to store all of your ammunition your food and other supplies all in one place. Spread them around logically. This keeps them safe in the event that if one cache is raided or damaged, you have more. And while making underground cache containers from PVC will work, there's also easier ways to store your supplies your food, your water, medical. But use, using large polyplastic agriculture containers already in rural areas can be used for underground storage caching with little or no modification. I have a friend who, on his property, has a very large culvert on his property. Only the gullies are dry and there have has not been water in that particular area for a very long time. So he uses the culvert to store some of his gear. Make sure that they're sealed properly if you do something like this. Make sure that your gear is sealed properly. And make sure that if you're going to store stuff underground, that they're sealed properly when you buried them. 
I've also seen people use galvanized trash cans buried in the ground for caches. Make sure that the lid is on tight. So rodents and bugs and creatures of the underground does not get inside. I tell you all of this because a lot of people are not prepared. A lot of people out there think that, oh, it's going to be okay. Everything is going to work out. You know, that could be true. What is the harm in preparing? If something happens, you're prepared. If nothing happens, you have some extra. And you're ready for if and when something happens later on. Me personally, I believe the time is now. Do you? After all of this is being said, are you ready? Are you prepared? If Creepy Joe and the Biden crime family is sworn into the White House, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think it's just going to be like it was during the Obama administration where he just destroys and takes down this country bit by bit, piece by piece? It's going to be worse than that, people. How do I know? History repeats itself. Look at history. Why do you think that they want to destroy the history? So people cannot learn. Learn from the history now while you can. Know what is going on with this country. Know what is happening. Again, are you ready? Am I ready? I would like to think that I am. Have you gone out in your backyard? Have you pitched a tent? Have you purposed it in your heart that while you are in your backyard, you're not going to go into the house unless you have to? Take your go bag with you. If you do not have a tent, use your tarp to build a shelter. Learn in your backyard what you need in your pack to survive. You and your family. Oh, but Kate, it's in the middle of winter. Hello? What do you think is going to happen in January if the Biden crime family is allowed to take over the White House. Guess what, folks? January is winter. January. And the first part of February is usually the coldest parts of the whole winter. To me, that's the best time to prepare. In your own backyard. So you can learn 
what you need. You can learn the skills that you need. Learn to light that fire. Learn to gather firewood. Learn what you can and cannot take out there to survive to eat. In the middle of winter, what can you consume naturally? Is there anything out there yet? Of course there is. You need to know what it is. What it is in your own backyard. When you've learned in your own backyard, take it a step further and go to a campground. Then take it a step further and go into the forest. It's the best way to learn. Again, are you ready? This ends the broadcast for me tonight. and Thank you for joining me around the campfire. Remember to look up Unleashed Jeremy Hansen live at www.spreaker.com Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Or you can catch him on YouTube, iHeartRadio, anywhere where podcasts are heard. You know my motto. Train hard. Train smart to survive, thrive, and stay alive. I'm hoping that you are learning something from these broadcasts. This is Kate. Signing off until next time. But we got people in the streets freezing while they sleep with no shoes on their feet. 